So we had to be blessed tonight uh, with a wonderful speaker, our friend Anna. Anna and Tyler did the internship. Well, Anna did the internship last year, and she's now serving on staff. Uh, interesting, couple interesting facts is that uh, Anna and Tyler, not only are they married, but they're expecting their first, right? And some of you may not know this, but Anna has a glass eye. And you should ask her to pull it out at some point. Thanks so much. I'm just kidding. Messing with you guys. Literally, I was like, I need some interesting facts to introduce my friend Anna. And uh, it was either that or she's ridden a woolly mammoth. I don't know. So, no, here's, the, here's what we know, guys, is that Anna's going to bring the word today. And uh, we always cherish this opportunity to speak from this place. Um, because it's not just about a good speaker or a good idea. It's about family and relationships and growing together in God. And I've had an opportunity to watch her life for the last two years. And I can tell you this, that she speaks with authority and she speaks from her relationship with Jesus. And so we're excited to have you here tonight. Thank you. Uh, another fact about me, I'm short, so I'm going to have to. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> I don't live by normal human standards. Okay, yeah, I'm super, wow, that's really loud. Um, I'm super excited that I just get to be sharing with you guys tonight. I'm one of those weird people that actually really like speaking in front of people. Um, sometimes, I guess, if I know what I'm saying, if I don't, I don't, I don't want to be up here. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I actually, we're going to start off by just looking at a question that I want you to think about for a couple seconds. And the question is, what is so important about purity and holiness? So I'm going to answer it. Uh, it is important because with these two things in place, nothing can separate us from God. I mean, this is the entire purpose of the Bible. You know, the idea that in the beginning we were separated from God, and then we look all the way through Scripture, and the whole point of Scripture is trying to show us how you can get back to being with him. Now, I'm going to be real. When I said I was talking about purity and holiness, I'm sure some of you kind of turned off, and you're like, oh, I've heard this before. Like, we're just going to be talking about rules. Um, but I hope that by the end of this, you realize that this is not just a discussion about rules. Really, this is a moment where we can grasp a greater understanding of the divine and, and in that, an understanding of who we are. So before we really go into the chunk of it, we are going to be looking just at the simple definitions of what purity and holiness are because I really would love us to just all be on the same page. Uh, and so we're going to go to that in a second. But another thing, straight off the bat with purity, I just want to say um, we are not just talking about sexual relationships. Uh, I think a lot of people, that's their first thought when you mention it. And just abstaining from sexual relationships is not the same thing as purity. Purity goes a lot deeper, um, and it's, it goes beyond that. So purity. Um, purity is to be morally clean without blemish. It is something that has not been defiled by other things. Now, I'm a visual learner. Uh, where are my visual learner people? Those are my people. I love it. And so I'm going to uh, just give you another image of what purity is. It's like a clean glass of water. Whoa, look at this. Doesn't it look delicious? 
That's because there's nothing in it. Um, so yeah, it's like a clean glass of water. It's fresh. It's not dirty. And it's not defiled by other things. Holiness, on the other hand, means to be set apart for the Lord. God has called us um, as his representation in the world to be set apart from it. I, I heard another, or I read it somewhere else, that another person explained it as being utterly unique. Like, we are going to be utterly unique from other people in the world. Now, I think another temptation is to think that purity and holiness mean the same thing. But as we can see here, it really does not. They run in the same vein. And what we'll realize is that the end result of purity is holiness. If being holy is our identity as the people of God, then purity has to be an aspect in that identity. So today we're going to be diving into the story of a man named Samson. Uh, he's a guy that Jesus, Jesus um, he's a guy that God set apart to be holy and pure from birth. A lot of you also might know him as like the strong guy in the Bible who like did crazy things. Um, so if you have your Bibles or phones, we're going to be looking at Judges 13 through 16. Yes, I did say four chapters. Uh, this is a story, and so it covers a lot of pages, and I'm going to summarize it for you. Don't worry, we're not going to sit here and read for an hour. Uh, and I'm going to highlight some key passages. But we are going to be starting in Judges 13.2. Judges 13.2 says, There was a certain man in Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful. Drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. The first thing that this angel says to her is, your boy has got to be clean. Uh, he's got to be a Nazarite from the womb. And to be a Nazarite is an Israelite who is specially dedicated to God. Um, and the way that they did with this was by abstaining from alcohol and grapes, shaving their heads in contact with dead bodies. Uh, which, I don't know why you'd want to do that anyways. But, um, well, I guess Paul does that as a hunter. But... <laughs> Um, but yeah, in the Old Testament in general, actually, <laughs> purity laws were a big thing. You could not enter the temple. You could not give a sacrifice to God. You couldn't identify as the people of God unless you followed these certain rules and were physically clean. Abstaining from eating certain foods or touching certain things or when it came to sacrificing animals, they had to be physically um, perfect without blemish or fault. And anything less than that was unacceptable to the holy and perfect God. So this angel says, your boy has got to be clean. He's going to be pure, which means that while he's in the womb, it still counts. So you have to follow these rules so that he can come out that way. Um, so the wife, she hears this, and she runs off to her husband, and he, she tells him everything that the angel has told her. And in verse 24, it says, and the woman bore a son and called him Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him in Manea Dan between Zorah and Eshdale. 
after this moment, Samson's story, it really splits into two parts, which unfortunately they both involve women betraying him. Um, he didn't have the best role. But uh, in the first part of it, he marries a Philistine woman, which is kind of ironic because we read earlier that the angel said, you know, this, this dude is going to be set apart so that, is, uh, so that God can save Israel from the Philistines. But, Sa- but Samson, he marries a Philistine woman, which we also read is something that God intended. That was something that God wanted. So even though his parents weren't super thrilled that he was going to marry this Philistine woman, he said, nope. It's right in my eyes. I'm going to do it. Well, while he is on the way to marrying this woman, uh, a lion comes at him, you know, just pretty casually. Uh, No, Uh, it it goes at him. And in that moment, in 14.6, we see that it says, then the spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. This dude literally tore a lion in half. I mean, that's pretty insane. Um, So after this moment, you know, casual, just tore a line in half, he goes to his wife and he throws a feast. And it's at this feast that he challenges the Philistine, the Philistine, yeah, uh, men to a riddle. And he pretty much says, hey, if you can solve this riddle, I'm going to get you all these garments and clothes. And so he says that and the Philistine men are like, yeah, let's do it. So they, they go for the riddle. And they can't figure it out. So pretty much what they do is they go to his wife and they say, yeah, you're going to have to deceive him or we are going to burn you. And so she does. She goes and she asks him for the riddle answer and he gives it to her. And the Philistine men win the competition. Samson knew he was betrayed. He did, but he honored his words. And it says the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he was able to go and get the prize to give to the Philistine men. Now, as you can probably imagine, Samson was pretty angry after this. Um, And his father-in-law, because of his anger, his father-in-law was like, well, he must hate my daughter now. So I'm going to go and give my daughter to his best man. You know, just adding a little little salt to the wound. Uh, So Samson, he, he, he goes and revenges that. And the Philistines retaliate and they capture him. And when they did, you would never guess, but the spirit rushed upon him. And the ropes on his arms became as flax caught fire. His bonds melted off his hands, and he defeated a thousand men with a donkey's jawbone. So we're going to skip to the last chapter, which is 16.4. And it says there that Samson loved a new woman named Delilah. And so the Lord of the Philistines, he came to Delilah, and he offered her money to seduce Samson to figure out where his strength came from. I mean, they could obviously tell something was off. He seemed pretty inhuman. He's doing all these insane things. So they asked her to go and figure out where his strength was from. And Delilah agreed. I don't know. I guess she wanted some dough. Um, And so she asked Samson, and he lies to her. But she doesn't know that, so she goes and she tells the Philistines, and they come and listen to what he said. He had said that he couldn't be tied up in... um, he couldn't be tied up, or no, he would lose his strength if he was bound in seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried. Uh, that would make him like other men. So they listen, and they realize that that was a lie because he obviously snaps them off. So Delilah comes to him again, and she asks again, you know, where do you get your strength from? And he lies two more times, and she goes to the Philistines two more times, and they keep, they keep realizing that this is not true. On her fourth attempt, He says in 1617, 
a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from the womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like other men. And so they cut his hair, and the Philistines came against him. And in, I think it's verse 20. That's the next one, sorry. Oh, yeah, 20. And in verse 20, we see that he, he didn't realize at first what had happened. And so he's like, I'm going to go out uh, like at other times, and I'm going to shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles and threw him in prison. Honestly, we can get a lot from this story. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that we could go from this. But what I really want to point out is why it was significant that Samson was set apart from birth to be pure. The reality is that God knew Samson was going to be in a morally compromising place. I mean, God sent him right into the Philistines, which is an unclean people, um, and in a group of sinners. God knew if if Samson was not set apart and pure from birth, from the very beginning, he would easily be tempted by the stuff around him, and he would have given in right away. He needed to be clearly different. And as we begin to look deeper at the story of Samson, if you go and look at it, you'll realize that he did not live a very honorable life. He made a lot of mistakes. He went against the Nazarite purity laws. Um, He used his power to show off, and he—I don't even think he ever gave glory to God during every while he was doing everything he could. Yet we realize that it was the moment when he disobeyed the direct command of God to not cut his hair, that he truly became impure. It was in that moment that he became like everybody else around him. He wasn't different anymore. And so how could God continue to give him strength as if he was different? We see at the end of the story that that Samson, he actually begs God. He says, hey, please, just give me a moment of your strength because I want to go and I want to defeat the Philistines. And then let me die with them. And so God says, you know, he, he gives him the strength, and Samson does. He defeats the Philistines, and then he ends up losing his life because reality is he didn't have the same strength as he did, did before. When he was living in purity, he truly lived a life that was directed and blessed by the Lord. We saw that in every single battle, the spirit would rush upon him, and he would literally have victory after victory. I mean, that is so cool. We as Christ's followers are called in the same way. We, we may, you know, it may look a little different now, but God has asked us to live a pure and holy life like Samson. And I think in order to do that, we have to recognize three things. That purity is conscious, it's cultivated, and it is capable of being cleansed. Conscious. So um, a definition of conscious is to be awake, to be aware of exactly what's happening. When we look at the story of Samson, most of us may think, you know, it's, it's that moment that he said yes to Delilah that really got him. Like, that's the moment that got him, the, the one moment of disobedience. And, yeah, that was the moment that, you know, God decided to take away his strength. But I actually think that he set himself up for failure before that. Delilah asked him for the secret to his strength, and, and he lies about it, and then he lies about it again and lies about it again. And I think solely in the fact that he even made up a reason in the first place, instead of just telling her no, shows that he made his strength and call seem less important than it was. 
He, he never should have given her an inch. I mean, reality is he should have been straightforward and just explained this is from God. And because of that, I'm not even going to risk it. Like, I'm not telling anybody. I don't care who you are. But this is the most valuable thing to me in the world. He needed to be conscious of what he was doing. And in the same way, as God's people called to be pure, we cannot treat purity as if it is less important than it is. Paul, you know, he mentioned last week that when you think a certain way, your actions usually follow that. And in the, in the same way, when we look at this, if we think that purity is less important than it is, why wouldn't we act out impurely? Um, I mean, Samson, it only took four shots for him to give the answer to a pretty girl, right? Uh, we cannot talk as if purity is just a casual part of our lives that we hope we do well at. We need to consider it um, in every action we take. It needs to be at the forefront of our mind. God has created us to resemble him, a pure and holy God. So how can we sit here and act like it's just this casual thing and this optional thing as a Christian? We need to wake up and be conscious of exactly what's happening, exactly why we are so lax about these things. Second, uh, purity is cultivated. It, it looks a lot, purity looks a lot different now than it did in the Old Testament. I, we kind of talked through some of the purity laws. Obviously, you can cut your hair now. You can eat meat. Praise Jesus. Um, <laughs> and the reason that that happened is that when Jesus came, he changed the game when it came to purity. I mean, uh, you used to have to go and get clean before you could walk into the temple, before you could walk into the house of God. But Jesus, he shows up and he says, he shifts it all and he says, nope, now I'm going to bring my cleanliness and give it to you. I'm going to bring it to you and make you clean. And this was displayed simply in the fact that, you know, we see time and time again in the New Testament how he would walk up to an unclean person, somebody that was sick, and physically touch them which to a lot of people was repulsing. Jesus' purity would then transfer to them instead of their impurity transferring to him. Um, by Jesus' life and the action he took, we see that he makes it clear to the disciples and others that we were coming to a new time where the Lord was going to prioritize the purity of heart over the purity of hand. Therefore, purity is really a matter of motive. It's not legalistic. I... Uh, being pure, uh, you know, if you've been around uh, Kyle for a little bit, you've probably heard somebody say that rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Um, if being pure was only about rules, then we wouldn't necessarily need God. I mean, it's way more than that. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. We see this come true in Samson's life because generally he obeyed. He did what he was supposed to. He didn't cut his hair but by no means would, like, do we see while reading through that story that he was close to God and eventually it led to rebellion and he lost his strength and he lost his purity. Our goal isn't to just be gen generally good people. It's to be close to our father. There was, um, there was a time in my life where I, I really felt stuck in sin and it, it just, it would make me so angry. The idea that, you know, it's, we're always going to sin. We are sinners. It's never going to go away till we go to heaven. Like, I just would spiral down. Like, even if I do good this week, I can mess up next week. Like, it just, it really tore me apart. Because even just the fact of, like, you might conquer one sin, 
but then you're going to sin again with a new sin. I mean, it's just like I was always in this spiral. But the problem is that I was just looking at what God commanded as a set of rules I wanted to conquer. And in a lot of ways, that made me really mad at God because I didn't understand why he would set such high standards for something that was unachievable in my eyes. One day, as I wrestled with this, I realized that I wanted to conquer this so that I didn't feel guilty, so that I felt like a good kid. I, I knew I wanted to be a pastor. I knew that I wanted to do these things. And so really, I didn't want to sin because I didn't want to be racked with guilt and think, man, I probably shouldn't be a pastor. So it was really all about me. When reality is the sole reason that I didn't, uh, the sole reason should have been that I didn't want to, sorry. Reality is the sole reason should have been that I love my God so much I want to be as close to him as I can, and I do not want to hurt him. That's why I shouldn't want to sin. And when that sunk in, my entire outlook on it changed. You know, the, the, it didn't matter if I had to fight tooth and nail every single day, knowing eventually I would mess up because I love my father, and he was worth it. I wasn't a failure because I had to go back to him time and time again for forgiveness. Instead, because I love my father, I need to strive my hardest to be close to him. And that is something that he has asked me to do is to come back to him again and again and again. My first mistake would have been to let my impurity drive me farther and farther from God. Who sacrificed his son so that I could be close to him. I mean, it goes against all of it if I was to let me be the barrier between us. And, you know, obviously sin, it does, it does um, drive us farther from God. I mean, that's just a fact. And I'm not saying that it does not do that. But after we sin, we do have a choice to live in shame and guilt and hide from him or to step closer to him and try again. Um, really, most of all, at the end of it, I learned that... I can't be mad at him for asking me to do this because if God really does love me, he would never call me to anything less than to be the very best that I could be. Purity is cultivated because it's something that we will continually grow in, and that's okay. Um, it's worth it because we will continually grow closer to our Father because of it. And so that brings us to the last C, which is capable of being cleansed. It is redeemable. Uh, at the very beginning, when I was talking about definitions, I had given you the visualization of this beautiful glass of water. And I want you to just, just visualize that again. Um, <laughs> when we sin or do something impure, it's, I don't have any dirt. The ground's frozen. I'm sorry. Um, but <laughs> when we sin, it's literally as if I took dirt and I put it in this purity, you know, like this great glass of water. It makes it dirty. You don't want to drink it. It's gross. And, you know, you can try all you want to pick out all the dirt pieces, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you know every time you put your hand in there, you're making it more dirty. And luckily for us, Jesus came and he became the filter for our water. He is the only reason that we would be able to get every piece of dirt out of that glass of water. He's the only reason that we could ever be pure enough to go to heaven, pure enough to live with God, and pure enough to be filled with the Spirit. Purity is conscious, it's cultivated, and it's capable of being cleansed. And if you have chosen to be a follower of Jesus, then this is something that you have to find extremely valuable. 
a life of purity leads to a life of holiness because it sets you apart from the world. Um, we're going to look at 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. Wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter so clearly states that if you have chosen to follow Jesus, um, if you, if you, yeah, if you have chosen to follow Jesus, you are a chosen people. God has chosen you. You are his possession. You only belong to God. Because of that, when you are among the world and those do, who do not follow him, you're foreigners. I mean, you have a different culture. You're different from them. You don't follow the same standards and rituals. And because the world is not your true home, heaven is now, you must be different. There's another passage in Philippians. I don't have it up. Um, but Paul states that, you are, that we are citizens of heaven. As Christ followers, we are citizens of heaven. And, and if you look deeper in that passage, he didn't say you will be citizens of heaven when you get there. You are right now on this earth. When, when you have chosen Jesus, you have become a citizen of heaven. And so we need to live like that's true. We need to live like we are citizens of heaven. Um, I wanted to share more stories with you about myself because I have a weird life. But uh, I'm, I'm going to share one now. Uh, when I was the summer after my junior year of college, I went to Indonesia for three months and I uh, I worked with a church there, and it was really fun because I got to travel around to different places around Indonesia and just work with different missionaries. Uh, well, one time I was traveling back to the main city that I was living in, and it was 1 a.m., and I had just landed, and I needed to get a grab car, which is Indonesian Uber. Uh, this airport was horrible, though, literally the worst airport I have ever been in. It had, like, I never knew where I was going. Uh, yeah, that was a mess. Um, but finally, you know, I followed all the signs and I thought I had gotten to the grab pickup area. But it was super sketchy and dark. It was literally like the side of the road and it was just super dark. And this guy comes up to me and he's like, oh, super broken English. Are you looking for a grab? And I show him and he sees my phone because I have the app open. He shows me the app on his phone, which makes me think, oh, this is good. He's a grab driver. And so I, you know, I was super exhausted and super stressed out, so I really didn't think much about it, and I got in the car with the random guy. Well, you know, very fastly sitting in the car, I realized this did not resemble other grab cars. The signs weren't there. His app was now gone. He wasn't following the tracking of the app, which you're supposed to do. Um, and I had come to the conclusion, oh my goodness, I got in some random guy's car. I am an hour from the apartment that I live in, and even if we were going the wrong direction, I genuinely would not know. So naturally, I start texting everybody that I have ever met in Indonesia, and I, I'm sending my tracking information. I'm like, can you just follow me to my apartment? Just tell me I'm going the right way. I have no idea. 
And finally, like 20 minutes later, one of the people, praise God, um, answered and they tracked me all the way home uh, to my apartment. Now, that's really actually not the main part of the story, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I get in my apartment and I let, honestly, I, I go and cry in my bed for about 20 minutes because I was like, that was such a traumatizing experience. <laughs> Uh, and finally, I, I got up, and I, I was ready to get ready for bed, and I put my hand uh, in my pocket, and I pull out my passport, and then I realized, wait a minute, I thought I put my passport in my other pocket. And so I put my hand in my other pocket, and I pull out this. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I stare at the wall for probably like a solid two minutes until it dawns on me that I had literally stolen some Indian guy's passport. Yeah, and I remember the moment, too. It was before customs. Bad moment, poor guy. Um, <laughs> before customs, and I was alone filling out those little pieces of paper that you have to fill out, and there was a passport upside down. It was blue, and I was leaving, and I saw it, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I almost forgot my passport, and grabbed the passport and put it in my other pocket. But in this moment when I realized I stole the passport, I wasn't thinking, oh, poor guy, he probably got sent home. I was thinking, I have to go back to the airport, like my, the worst place ever. Um, and so I call my supervisor. I'm freaking out. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't want to go back. to. The, and by this point, it was like 3 a.m. Like just time had flown by. Like, Okay, so it's 3 a.m. I'm calling my supervisor, and I was like, I, I don't want to go back. I don't feel safe going back. Like I usually was not out at this time. And honestly, when I got there, I wouldn't know where to go anyways, and nobody spoke English except, like, a few people, and, like, in the airport, and a few people, like, even just in that city of Indonesia. And so my, my supervisor, she's like, just go to the Indian embassy in the morning, and I was like, oh, praise God, which, it was a little stressful, not going to lie. I, like, showed up to the Indian embassy, and they were all confused, and they asked me a billion questions, and they made me go and sit in a room with only a couch and a camera in the corner for about 45 minutes before anybody walked in. So once again, thought I was going to get kidnapped, second time in two days, um, but they were super nice in the end after that, and they let me go. Uh, so I hope the guy got his passport. I genuinely don't know. Um, but he probably wasn't there, so... Uh, <laughs> Now, that story, it's nuts in general. I'm so glad it is over. Um, but I share it because how easy was it for me to steal that other identity when mine was not set apart, when I could not tell the difference between it, when mine was not utterly unique from theirs? I, I have another picture of two that, I mean, they're in, in, in like in real life, it looks like the exact same color, and at the, on the back of it, you really couldn't tell the difference. I honestly didn't, like, think about it at all. I grabbed it, and I put it in my pocket. I'm honestly just glad I didn't hand it to the customs people, because I think I would have gotten in trouble. <laughs> um, you know, I praise God for that, too. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the back was the same color. It felt the same. I didn't even think twice about it. And, sadly, I think in the same way, when we do not realize what it looks like for us to be set apart, it is so easy to just take the closest identity that is in front of us. The familiar, the comfortable, the easy identity in front of us. I mean, how many of us in a moment, <laughs> how 
many of us in a moment of stress, instead of going to God and our community, choose something that helps our mind escape and that numbs us? Whether it's TV, social media, porn, sex, alcohol, you name it. I mean, how many of us in an awkward situation will choose to lie so that we can get out of it and go home before we would honor one of our friends? How many of us, when a moment arises, talks about someone behind their back or makes a, a, a joke about them that defiles another human being? How many of us, out of the fear of being alone, grab the first unhealthy person in front of us just to feel that sense of longing and love when we know that God has asked us not to be yoked with unbelievers in that way? How many of us use the phrase, I'm a sinner, as an excuse I'm going to just, you know, give in to this one more time, and then next week, we're going to conquer it. We're going we're gonna to get over it. Being set apart is living a life that is, not, uh, that is not separated from God, but separated to God. Which means we should look different, just like Samson was supposed to. By being separated to God, we should obey whatever he calls us to. He has asked us to be a representation of him. And we have the ability to show the world that God is different than the world. And in that, we are different from the world. We can love our enemies. We can be slow to anger. We can be forgiving. God has asked us to be pure. And because we are set apart, we can abstain from sin. We can make the decisions to do that. God has asked us to give him our all. And because of that, because we are set apart, we should be able to give every piece of our life to him. You know, our, our money, time, and future. And that's really what Rob talked about at winter camp, just the idea that the Lord deserves that from us. He, I mean, he is worthy of all of our life. When we strive for this to be our lifestyle, other people who don't follow Jesus should recognize it as well. And like I said earlier, hopefully that would lead them to desire to live like that as well and to follow Jesus. Those examples of being of the world, they, they may look like the easy way. They may look like the really fun way. Um, but at the end of the day, they make you feel like crap. You know, they're destructive. Uh, they make you feel empty. You, you're constantly wanting more. God asking us to be set apart is not so that he can control us. He just knows that his way is genuinely better. He knows that his way leads to freedom and rest and joy and ultimately an eternity where we get to be with our Father. And because he loves us, why would he call us to anything less? When you choose to follow Jesus, this is a choice that you make to live in this way. And if you haven't made that choice, I would love to talk to you more about God and just what this means or the person that brought you. <laughs> I'm sure would talk to you as well. But if this is a choice that you have made, you need to take it seriously. You need to find people to keep you accountable because God is going to do big things in you. He has chosen you. And he does not want to be separated from you in any way. And so I just want to challenge you guys. Um, first, for people who have not taken this seriously, let's do this. I mean, come on. Give yourself more credit than you do. You can do this. You need to do this. And all of us are here to walk alongside you in that. Um, and then second, for those who are really striving to live a pure and holy life and you just feel defeated. I mean, I've been there. I mean, 100%. I've totally been there. Like I said, I've just been angry at God trying to live that way. 
give yourself some grace. Celebrate the little victories. Uh, Lindsay used to say that to me last year all the time because I'd get so stuck on the idea of I need to live pure, I need to live holy, I need to live pure, I need to live holy. If I don't do that, what's going to happen? And in that, I lost sight of being close to Jesus. I really did. I was so fixated on being perfect for Jesus that I wasn't as close to him. And so, yeah, that is what I have to say about purity and holiness. And we're just going to end today by getting in our small groups. And I have two questions that I I would love for you guys to just discuss um, with each other. So, yeah, we're going to turn on some music and we're going to do that.